Well, our reading this morning is from our verse of the year, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. And if you've got a red church Bible, then that's on page 1,218. 1,218. That's 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But I'm going to read from chapter 2, verse 1. All the way down to verse 9. 1 Peter 2 verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'm going to pray just before Phil comes and speaks to us. Father in heaven, we pray now as your word is opened and brought to us that you would speak to each and every one of us here this morning. Father, would you strengthen and equip Phil to speak powerfully to us now In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope on on your way in, you managed to take one of these cards uh, on which is printed our verse for the year. And our time together is is going to be um, looking at what this says and why it's important for us this morning to go into the new year with this on our minds. So let me start with a question. Actually, the first thing is, if, if you haven't got a Bible, can you, uh, can you just quickly put up your hand if you need one, just so the deacons can come and, and, and take one round to you? No, has everyone got the passage open in front of them? Brilliant. Lovely. Good. That's, that's encouraging. That's really encouraging. Okay, let me start with some lyrics. This will test your, test your, your, your knowledge. <clears throat> Where does this come from? I don't drink coffee. I take tea, my dear. I like my toast done on one side. And you can hear it in my accent when I talk. Go on loudly. 
Thank you very much. I'm an Englishman in New York. See me walking down Fifth Avenue, a walking cane here at my side. I take it everywhere I walk. I'm an Englishman in New York. Whoa, which are the lyrics. I'm an Englishman. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an alien. I'm a legal alien. I'm an Englishman in New York. That's what Sting sang, actually, just to date us over 30 years ago. And I imagine, us, I imagine many of us at one time in our lives have felt like an alien. Perhaps we've sat in the wrong football stand at the local derby. Perhaps we've worn uniform on a non-uniform day. When I was studying in Wales for my PGCE, many of my pupils would comment on my posh English accent and they, would, they couldn't help daily reminding me of the blindingly obvious that I wasn't from Wales. Well, in our passage this morning, Peter says to his Christian readers that even if no one has ever actually said you're different, it's probably the case that they're still thinking that you are. Because it's obvious that Christians are not from around here. And because of that feeling of not fitting in or of not being normal like the people around us, sometimes we're left wondering, why is it we stick out so much? Some of us may even go so far as to wonder, why can't we fit in more? What do we need to do to just stay under the radar? And that's why Peter writes this letter, because these were the very things that were challenging his readers. They were aliens. They were being made to feel like aliens. They were sticking out. He writes this letter around 60 AD to Christians who were living in different parts of what is now northern Turkey. They were struggling with this issue of standing out. And even more than that, the emperor, who was Nero, was persecuting Christians to death. So Peter wanted them to see how being different is so much better than fitting in. That's the real truth that he wants them to understand and know and feel and love and live. And right through chapter 1 and into the start of chapter 2, he reminds his readers of one thing. And that is that they are different because of a personal relationship with God. One that God has won, one that God has constructed, one that God has lavished upon them. They were aliens. They didn't fit in because, actually, of God's work. And that was a cause to celebrate and not to despair over. Feeling alienated says Peter, is a badge of belonging to Jesus. And it's the same for us today. Our passage says, being alienated is a badge of belonging to Jesus. So in my first point this morning, we're going to look at a broad overview of chapter 1, just to give us some context and, and, and show us how it leads into, chap, into our passage this morning. So the, the first chapter I'm just going to summarize on a simple, under a simple heading. Um, not, not perfect, but it'll go with what we're trying to look at this morning. Our personal identity is in Jesus. Our personal identity in Jesus. So he starts his letter by telling his readers that the reason why they're so different is because God has acted. Boomph! God has acted. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So he grounds everything in the fact that individual Christians, you, me, us, 
We have been given a new life with a new hope that comes because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that is only and ever God's work in us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to supplement it. This is only and all about God's work. So immediately preceding our passage this morning, he kind of goes, well, if that's the case, if God has lavished that kind of love upon you, then look at what you have to do. Verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then in opening, in the opening few verses of chapter 2, he says we're to rid ourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. In other words... This is the direction of all that God has done for you. You are to take the love which God has lavished upon you, live it, love one another, and especially in the way that you speak to one another. And then what he does is he ties those two things together, and he ties them with spiritual growth in verse 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's saying, guys, do you know, this is what God's done for you. This is how you live it. And this is how you grow up it, in it. You, you crave that spiritual milk, the, the salvation that Christ has got, uh, won for you, the gospel applic- uh, being applied every day in your heart, and you, you, you learn more about Jesus. Reading the Bible, praying, fellowshipping, learning more about him. That's what craving, that's pure spiritual milk is about. Don Carson once said, you never drift into holiness. You never drift into holiness. And that illustrates why Peter tells them, not just to love, not just to speak well, but to crave pure spiritual milk. And that's the backdrop to our passage. Because he wants them as individuals to see the great work that God has done for them individually. And he wants them to respond with love and care in speech and with a heart that longs to know Jesus more. And that brings us to our passage this morning because the the context of our passage talks about us as individuals. But the second chapter goes on to talk about how God has changed changed us as a corporate body as a body together, as God's people. And the first thing it says is our, we, we have a corporate identity in Christ. Our corporate identity is in Christ. And that's verse 4 and 5. Look at verse 4 and 5 with me. As you come to him, the living stone, or Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he he develops that idea of individual spiritual growth, but rather than focus on the individual, he wants us to see that there are corporate implications to our personal spiritual journey. You see, when we became Christians, we didn't just receive the personal blessings of God. We enter into fellowship with Jesus, who is the living stone and who gives life to the church. And because of that, it's true to say that as we have a daily personal relationship with Jesus, who is the living stone, not only are we finding life and fellowship with him, but we are being united together as a body of believers. Bang! 
It's a bit like when, in 2001, Kate Middleton arrived at St. Andrew's University. She met Prince William. It's, it's classic, classic. You know, they should make a film out of this, actually. Um, she, she, she met Prince William, the commoner who fell in love with the prince. She had no idea that her identity would change as that personal relationship blossomed. But sure enough, 10 years later, she left Westminster Abbey, didn't she? As Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge. When she married Prince William, her status was changed forever. No longer was she simply an undergraduate girlfriend of the Prince of, uh, the Prince of Wales's son. At that moment that she said, I do, she not only was married to Prince William, but she became a princess and a duchess and the future Queen of England. That personal relationship with William effectively brings her into a relationship that one day will affect all British subjects. And in the same way, if you have declared Jesus your Lord and your God, the person you worship and the person whom you follow, then your life has a corporate impact too. Personally, you know the God of the universe. You love God the Son. But alongside that, you enter into his kingdom and you become one of his subjects and you belong to the house and family of God and your love for Jesus has an impact on that body of believers. Do not underestimate that impact. Do not, do not think that it's only about me and God. Because the Bible tells us this is the truth. Our spiritual relationship with God impacts everybody in this room, in this town who loves Jesus. And that's why Peter uses the picture of a building. It's a, te- it's a picture of a temple where God lives. And what he's saying is that God does not live in a temple made of physical stones, but in a temple made of people, the body of believers, his local church and his church universal. That ought to blow our minds. I hope it does. What does that mean for us? Well, let's be honest. Let's be very honest. From my perspective, at least, we don't look hugely impressive. Peter, <laughs> yeah, you, you can kick me out now. Uh, Peter says, though, that, that, that the gathered believers here, actually, we, we make up the catering, uh, part of the catering branch of God's living temple. And that means when we gather as a local church in small or big groups, at home or in this building, God is in us. God is working in us corporately, drawing us together, building us up in faith and in love, in practical ways and in spiritual ways. That is, that is his work amongst us. So we don't have to feel the pressure to magic up his, his presence with a choir or band, nor beg him to turn up or, or go on a pilgrimage to, to find him in some special place. No, no, God is with us because he lives in us by his spirit and in his temple, the, ho- the, 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 the church. It means this, if you've come to Jesus, you are united to him and you are also united to his people. You might not feel a part of his people, but you are. You might, not, you, you might find it difficult meeting on Sundays, but you've entered into God's community. So when we're following Jesus, the question isn't, will I join the church? 
The question isn't, oh, do you know, I guess I've got to wander down to, 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 to church this morning. The question ought to be, how should I live out being church here? How ought I to live out being church here? When you come to Jesus, your status is changed. We belong to a new community like Kate Middleton belongs to a new community. When she became a duchess, she also became part of a new community. And her question wasn't, shall I join the royal family? It was, now I'm in the royal family, how should I live? And that's the springboard for the rest of the passage. Because the rest of the passage answers the question, now that we are in God's family, how ought we to live? And really, there are two answers to that question from the passage. Well, three, actually. The first is, we are, to live out our, we are to live out our identity in Jesus. That's the first thing. We are to live out our identity in Jesus. Look at verse 6 to 7. For in Scripture, it says, I lay, in stone, I lay a stone in Zion, a, ch- a precious stone, a, a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So Peter takes some promises from Isaiah about a cornerstone of a building that one day God will lay in Jerusalem. We have to remember that this is Old Testament symbolism about someone who would lay down the foundations of a new temple for God's people where God will dwell. And the fulfillment of that prophecy comes in the person of Jesus. So for all who now believe in him, he is precious and of the highest importance. That's the focus of the building. It cannot be music, it cannot be singing, it cannot be simply theology. It has to be our personal, deep relationship and understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, whilst he is precious to the people of God, he's also rejected by those who who are not his people. Look at verse 7. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It clearly makes the point that belonging to Jesus and God's people is confrontational in nature. That's because Jesus separates the world into two kinds of people. And there's no middle ground. We either submit to Jesus and love him, deeply and passionately, reveling in his value, or we reject him. And the truth is that our response to Jesus shapes our eternity. That's what verse 8 says. It says that he is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. If we stumble because of Jesus, in other words, if he's our sticking point, if we can't understand how he can be God, or if we cannot submit to him as God, and as master of our lives, then we disobey the message, the gospel. It's another way of saying, I do not accept that Jesus is Lord. And Peter tells us that one day God will hold us responsible for that rejection. There's no, there's no getting around that. And I'm not going to apologize by telling us this, that this morning. And so the challenge for all of us this morning, both Christians and non-Christians, is this, will we accept that? Will we accept that Jesus is God? Will we accept that he's dealt with our sin on the cross once and for all so we don't have to? 
Will we accept that he is the only one we can trust in to bring us into a relationship with God? Will we accept that because he has done this, we must bow our knee before him as our Lord and our Master, our God? There is no alternative to that. If you've not done that before, then today, now even, whisper that confession in your heart. Not just Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is my Lord. Maybe later on you need a bit of time to think it through. Do that. Go to your bedroom, close the door, and say to Jesus that you want him as your God over you, the most important person in your life. And you want to know his love for you that has been lavished and lavished and lavished and poured out upon you because of his death on the cross. Because we only live by believing in Jesus. We only live, truly live, find eternal life. Life that is lived to the absolute full by believing in Jesus. Will you take that this morning? And believe in who he is. Believe in what he's done. And listen, for, for those of us who are Christians, that is, that is the gospel message, isn't it? And, and, and I tell you, isn't it just the most joyous thing to once more be reminded of all that Christ has done for us and all who he is over us? And may you and I say once more this morning in our hearts, Jesus is Lord. I know I haven't lived like it. But Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus is Lord. The second thing Peter says is we are to live as people who belong to God. That's where Peter totally goes off on one in an attempt to see how precious we are to God and how God has massively privileged us by choosing us to belong to him. So look at verse 9, please. But you... Do you see, do you see kind of, he, he set us up, hasn't he? It's like, it's like um, on a rugby pitch where the, the penalty's being taken and the little, the little remote-controlled car wheels on with a little rubber thing that you put the ball on. That's what, I've forgotten what it's called. Um, that's what he's done here. He set it all up. He set it all up. This is the grand finale, the, the, the big kahuni. But you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. <laughs> you can't hide it, guys, if you really are. You can't hide it, you're going to stick out. But this is the joy. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. God has chosen us. He's chosen us for a spiritual awakening to the reality of his love. That spiritual awakening, awakening means it is now impossible to ignore him. We have to respond to him. But we're also a royal priesthood. So as a people who are his chosen people, we are also his priests. In other words, there's no longer any need for special individuals to be the one to offer sacrifices to sin. We are all priests. Just because I work for the church, it doesn't make me special. We are all priests. That that Old Testament model where special people come before God and offer sacrifices to him are gone because we all do that. And what is the sacrifice we offer? It's our lives. It's our souls. It's our everything. It's our being. And it might not 
feel like that when you're spiritually dry or even shy about your faith, but every day you fight sin, there is your spiritual sacrifice, your act of worship. Every day that you force yourself to go to the Bible and learn more about Jesus, there is your spiritual act of worship and your sacrifice. Because you're saying, deep down, I'm a sinner and I don't want to know more about God. But do you know, because I love him, I will. Every day you make an idiot of yourself by talking to your friends about Jesus. There is your spiritual act of worship. You've sacrificed your, 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 your kudos in front of all your mates. There is your spiritual sacrifice. That makes us priests and we are forever offering sacrifices before God. Because he's brought us into relationship. We, we serve, we, we love. Those are the sacrifices that God longs to see more and more in us. And no matter how you feel, no matter what others say, no matter what the workplace colleagues or the boss or the non-Christian partner thinks, this is your rock-solid, unchangeable identity in Jesus. This is who God says we are. You see that? And it's this status and this coining and this appointment that we are to wear as badges on our hearts. It's this status, this appointment, this calling that is to sear our consciences. This condition is what is to shape us in the face of temptation. This status is what must drive us to keep fighting and to keep fighting to change our lives. And hence, it's, it's not a New Year cliche to say that this year you're going to commit to the church prayer meeting. Why? Because I, I belong to Jesus. I'm going to jolly well involve myself in the people of God. I will read the Bible. I will go to work. And share Jesus there. I will pray with my children. I will pray with my spouse. I will strive this year to build up the body of believers by taking the time and energy and money to serve, to care, to be hospitable, to love, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I will do that because this is the place where it's happening. This is the place where we are truly free. This is the place where we are truly honest with one another. This is the place where we truly come alive. This is life, people. This is not make-believe. This is not going through the motions. This is where God's temple is. And if you, if you don't belong to it, you are totally missing out on what true life is. Jesus, came, Jesus said, I have come that you, have, you may have life to the max, to the absolute full. This is true, full, ultimate, joyous life. And we enjoy it here gathering around his word. We enjoy it here encouraging one another in song. We enjoy it here encouraging one another in fellowship, in care, in love, in service. The people who have put the chairs out this morning praise you because in doing that you have worshipped the Lord our God in a very practical way. And people who have served by doing all the Sunday school, the people who have served by doing all the refreshments, the singers, the everybody. Do you see it? The evidence of our fellowship and our worship is all around us. This is where it's happening. Let's not forget it. Let's not just lose sight of it. Let's rejoice in that. Let's rejoice that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That is our status. 
isn't that glorious? But the last thing we have to understand is we have a purpose. I do love it. Second part of verse 9. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God gives us a status not so we can bagsy the best seat on a Sunday morning. The church is not about keeping the safe sheep safe. I'll say that again. The church is not about keeping the safe sheep safe. It's about being God's tool, his instrument, his people, that he has chosen to reach out to the lost sheep. And therefore, our purpose is to declare his praises. What is our praise? Praise is about rejoicing in what God has done. It's about rejoicing in our Savior. What, what we rejoice in is what we declare naturally to others around us. And we do that all the time, don't we? Don't we? Uh, some people rejoice in their computers and spend ages telling us why we should get a Mac. Some people come back from the holiday and say, oh, I've just had the most amazing time. You've got to go there. Some people have a delicious meal and then go on TripAdvisor, praising the restaurant. What we love is what we declare, isn't it? Praise, therefore, is the overflow of our hearts. So if we've come to Jesus, we have this great story to tell, a great declaration. We've got the greatest saviour to rejoice in, Jesus Christ, who has delivered us from darkness and brought us into light. He's the one who has changed our status forever. And in part, that's why we meet on Sundays. That's why we go to prayer meetings. That's why we meet in small groups. That's why we meet up together informally in the week. It's to declare what Jesus has done to the world. And if you don't feel like talking to others about Jesus, then go back to the gospel. Remind yourself of how Jesus has shifted your status from not being God's people to being God's people. And you may think that Kate Middleton's status has changed a lot since she met Prince William, but remember that is nothing compared to how our status has changed since we came to Jesus. And therefore, as you go to the gospel, ask God by his Holy Spirit to help you once again see who you are, to see what you've got to do, and to be drawn into that chosen people, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, that you may declare his praises. Do you know, Peter says, this purpose is for all who follow Jesus. Let's take this card. Let's memorize this verse. Let's live out its instructions. The church is a people who believe and belong to Jesus. A people who belong to God. A people with a new status. And a status that drives our purpose. This year, let's not forget that. Let's not forget that identity that shapes our behavior. Let's not forget our purpose which is to immerse ourselves in him and declare his praises for his glory. Let's pray together.
that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Father God, we worship you that you have worked to call us out of darkness into your wonderful light. You have worked to draw us together. You have worked that we might be your instrument in this world. Father God, I pray that you would fill us with that identity. Fill us with that renewed knowledge of who we are because of Jesus. Not just individually, but corporately together as your body of believers here. And therefore, Father God, may we be full of confidence that you have called us to this and therefore we cannot help but declare your praises. Lord, fill us with purpose and passion for your purpose. Fill us with a desire for others to come into this wonderful, wonderful status. Not because of what we do, but because of who you are. Lord, may we revel in your wonderful light that we may declare your praises. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing about the great cause that God has given us, that Jesus Christ may be known wherever we are, and so that not we are glorified, but Jesus is glorified. And as we sing this chorus, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, let's understand that is a prayer of Christ who patterns that prayer. And it's a prayer for the gospel to spread through all the nations, so that everyone might know the name of Jesus personally. Let's make that this prayer this morning as we think, as we, as we leave this morning. We finish. Let's stand together.